How can we make the world better? By making ourselves better. The Dr. Joe Show explores how you can make positive personal change by using his groundbreaking and highly effective I Am approach to understand who we are and why we do what we do. Your small changes can have big effects. Join us now for the Dr. Joe Show with Mark Stiles of Stiles Law and your host, Dr. Joe Schrand. Welcome to the Dr. Joe Show. Yeah. Massive applause. Massive. Mark, that was fantastic. It was great. There was no, no tickling your throat or anything. I mean, nothing. I cleared my throat. Are you like expanding your lungs with all the bicycling or something? Nah, Come on. Maybe that could be it. It's possible. I mean, you're you're really uh, really on track for this. Well, I purposefully uh, cleared my throat before I doing it this time. Ooh, I typically perfect. forget to do that, so there's that. That was really good. That was really really using your prefrontal cortex and sort of yes, nice, nicely done. So I hope it's been a good week. Great week. How about you? Uh, yep, it's it's been great, and I'm very excited because both of my daughters are coming out from LA to uh, to celebrate our weekend here. Um, the house that uh, we live in now, Carol, my wife, uh, moved in with her family in 1963, so we are celebrating the 60th anniversary. Oh, fun! This, this weekend, really incredible. So looking wow, that's fun. Yeah, it's gonna be great. Tom, could you introduce our guest for tonight, please? Absolutely, Dr. Joe. Tonight, we are honored to have Joseph Green, a spoken word artist, educator, motivational speaker, and narrative disruptor with over 20 years of experience creating dialogue that's led to success in classrooms, boardrooms, and living rooms. He believes strongly in storytelling's innate ability to connect people to their higher purpose and one another, creating a world that is a better place for everyone. He is also the CEO of LMS Voice, an educational consulting and production company. Welcome to the Dr. Joe Show. Welcome, Joseph Green. Hello, everyone. I'm excited to be here. <laughs> and we are excited to have you. I wonder, can we just get right into some of yeah. your more creative yeah. process? Yeah, I, I will I will start with the poem. I I will say that um this poem comes heavy and it is some if you know me, if you're listening and you met me before, you probably heard this poem, but uh it's it's a poem about my father and um He's uh, in the late stages of Alzheimer's now, and I try to do this poem as often as I can, um, and it helps me remember. Helps me remember. Mm. Life is short. In the hospital bed, I helped him turn so the cancer medication could spread evenly. His eyes swelled, then cracked like a fortune cookie. The piece of paper inside read, life is short, but being alive is the longest thing you will ever do. Proceed accordingly. If I'd attempted this homage to my father 20 years ago, it probably would have consisted more of those intangibles that drove me away. Hate and blame, not just mere symptoms of childhood angst, but the language I spoke in effort to express how my father's absence from my formative years made me feel. I once considered my father's DNA to be a cancer in me, knowing the helix to be doubled. I never dreamed of losing myself completely, only half. A man now, I realize my thinking was the cancer. Forgiveness is medication. 
I'm still waiting for it to spread evenly. Always with the wrong bottle in hand from birth, he showed me the image of addict. It resembled something like a court jester juggling knives, one blade for family, one blade for work, one blade for marriage, one blade for regret, one for the military that never treated him as equal, one for the father that died when he was 10, another for the mother that was never the same. All the while spiraling down towards the greatest come to Jesus moment ever. 16 year old son in the back seat, his wife picks him up from jail, after his second DUI. My father has been in recovery for over 30 years. His poison was alcohol, mine was cocaine. They say parents want children to grow up, achieve feats greater than their own. I don't believe this is what they had in mind. I've spent years mortified of mirrors by having his image projected back on me. I saw the new likeness at the bottom of empty whiskey bottles and clear plastic baggies. I mainlined hate and blame, but I became so high, I had nowhere to go. Rock bottom in the sky, I landed in my father's arms. Through falling, I've come to realize that just as he did not, I did not ask for this predilection towards addiction, that hate and blame are just new ways to get high for those of us not willing to change. And that which took him over half a lifetime only took me 10 years to overcome because he has shown me what recovery looks like, what dignity reinstated looks like, what a future not haunted with regret looks like. I refuse to be 10 years down the line, traveling a bat out of a homemade hell on Route 95, stopped by a cop for going 95, exclaiming out of the window of my vehicle, that like all men, my father is dying. Like most men, I never told him I understood. Never told him I knew one of those blades he juggled had love for family engraved in it. Never said I forgave him as I hope he has forgiven me. Never said thanks, I'm proud of you. And though I know neither side of this reflection will ever be perfect, I'm no longer scared of mirrors because life is short. But being alive is the longest thing you will ever do. Proceed accordingly. Wow. I've got goosebumps. Yeah. Joseph. Thank you. How how is that for you to to read that to say it again, again? I bet. You know, I I've been working with young people for many, many years, and I know that there are parents who have put pride or stubbornness or as you put in, in, in the pre-show, what they believe their child should be in between them and their child. And I know that there are children who put disappointment and resentment and uh, self-righteousness in between them and their parents. And I was lucky to have been able to do this work long enough and for my father to do the work long enough and be around long enough to have made our amends that I do that poem and it does sting but if one person and I know it has hears this and says I don't know what the way forward is, but I know that what I'm doing now is not working between me and my loved one. And to realize that 
that idea of life is short, but it's the longest thing you will ever do. It becomes this long thing when we live in the regret of the actions that we know we should have taken. And it's short because we only have the amount of time that we have to make the changes we need to make. It's never too late until it's too late, right? So I, um, it's one of the poems that I have that I do because I know that it was my privilege to be able to do what I've been able to do. And if anybody else can get there, if I can help them get there, then it's, it's worth it. And I know that my father, who was anti me doing the poem in public for many years, is supportive, very supportive in knowing that his legacy is going towards bringing people together. It's a, it's a wonderful image. You know, life is short, but the longest thing you'll ever do. That is really brilliant. We, we, I can relate to that on many, many levels. We'll talk about it, but we will take a break and be right back with poet Joseph Green. Hey folks, thank you for listening to the Dr. Joe Show. We've been investigating whether or not we want to bring sponsors into our podcast. What are your thoughts? Do you know somebody who might be a good partner with the Dr. Joe Show, who may want to align their product or service with the Dr. Joe Show? Think about it. And we are back with the Dr. Joe Show with storyteller Joseph Green, who just laid down a the most amazing poem I've ever heard. I sat in awe listening. But I have a question that we were talking briefly about off air. And Joseph, my question is always, at what point did you find the courage to bring your work public and publish it and let other people hear your word? Yeah, so it's it's a it's a it's an interesting journey, and there's two parts to that to that journey. Um, so I started off in theater, and I've been very performative most of my life. Uh, and I I walked away from theater after a couple of years touring with the theater department because I didn't feel satisfied in the type of work that I was getting. And so I'd always written, and it was on the side, but it was more of a like angsty teenager thing, let me get my feelings out. And every once in a while, someone will say, oh, you're really good at that. Um, I, I started off doing spoken word poetry in my early 20s after I left college. And it was totally about being cool, maybe being famous, maybe getting an album, maybe winning a national poetry slam going on a tour, publishing a book. It was completely about my ego. Uh, and it wasn't until my wrestling with recovery and my, my journey into recovery, which um, at the very beginning, uh, there was a loss of a close friend. Um, it wasn't until then that I really thought of writing for other folks like to make other folks feel uh, or know that they're not alone in something. And there's a certain amount of, of sacrifice that you have to make as an artist, especially in my space, not in every space, but especially in the space of spoken word poetry, because it's you and a microphone. Um, and so it's expected that it's you that you're being in that space. Um, to really authentically make that connection, you gotta be willing to put some things on the line. Um, and 
I had written a poem first about my friend who had passed and a woman heard it at an open mic and invited me to speak to a group of young people. Um, and that was the first time that anyone had asked me about my story. I've been doing spoken word poetry as myself, apparently, for like a decade, but no one had ever asked me to share my story because I wasn't giving them anything beyond like a surface. These words sound good together. He's a great performer. Um, and then I wrote the poem for my dad sequentially. It was the next big piece that I, I invested time in. You know, spoken word poetry is different than, um, you know, writing page poetry on a regular basis. It, it tends to come in like, chunks um, because they're so long. And uh, I did the poem for four years before I told my father it existed. Um, and my parents don't normally come out to my events because they are hardcore Christian folk and spoken word world tends to be a little secular. Um, so I got them to come out to a very special event and um, where I was uh, a feature, uh, I had 30 minutes and I gave my dad the poem before I got on stage and I said, I'm gonna do this poem. And then I got on stage. And that night I pointed to him after and he got a standing ovation mm -hmm. and we hugged and we kissed and we cried and it was beautiful. Um, and I think, for him, he thought it was going to exist in that space only. Fast forward a year, I'm doing a poem at a conference. Someone asked me if they can record the poem and send it out to their network. I signed a release and they sent it out to their network. And then um, I think it's Upworthy grabbed it and posted it. And it's the first thing I piece, piece of art that I had that went viral. Um, and so I didn't know it went up, but I woke up the next day to voicemails from my mom your family is calling your dad, telling them, do you know what Joseph is saying about you on the internet? Mm -hmm. um, and that is when he became upset because he didn't realize just how much it was going to go out there. Um, and my dad is an older you know, black gentleman from the South military. Uh, the, the fact that he didn't run out of that room the night I performed it was a miracle. So I, it was a lot to expect him to be able to Long story short, they tell you don't read the, the comments. That's not always true. Um, so after taking it from him and hearing his, his anger, I, I, I read the comments and then I sent him the comments. And it's all the things that I was saying earlier that it, like I, I, I need to call my son. Um, I never got to make this, you know, um, I never got to do this with my father. I'm going to make sure that it doesn't happen between me and my children. Um, thank you for your sacrifice and sharing. Thank you for your courage. Thank you for this. Thank you for that. And my father is definitely a man who believes in service. He was in the military for 20 years and he worked in the government for another 20 years. So he believes in service. And I think it clicked for him that this was how I serve. Mm. Right. And that his story is my story, like it or not. Um, and I think at that moment, he realized that it wasn't to be famous. I didn't do it because I wanted to put something salacious out there that was clickbait, um, that he himself, a person in recovery who became a sponsor and did AA, da 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 It's like, oh, maybe my recovery doesn't have to be um, anonymous, right? Maybe it wasn't for him to give a voice to, right? But it, maybe everything that you know we can't go out because of the shame and stigma of his generation like oh wow this is what happens when 
people see story. Um, and so, yeah, I, it, 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 it came and it passed as a moment in our lives. Um, but, you know, that was the beginning of him like encouraging what I do and no longer, you know, every phone call being like, Hey, have you got a real job yet? So. <laughs> yeah. So many layers to that, but I, I'm, I'm so inspired. Um, and I, I can hear those comments and people being inspired to be sure that they don't repeat some of the things that may have happened to them yeah. with their parents as well. And the word anonymous, I could not agree with you more. Um, I mean, I have enormous respect for Alcoholics Anonymous, Narcotics Anonymous, all these anonymous things, but I'm really hoping that one day we do not need to be anonymous, that the stigma is past and you don't need to hide from this and say, I'm not telling you anything else about me, but here's my story, but you can't know who I am. So Joseph, I, I think that that's, that's really a major part of the inspiration. And it's, it's powerful that your, your, dad, your dad made that transformation. You helped him come out of the shadows with that too. It's, um, you know, I, every member of my immediate family is military. So uh, I am the outlier. Uh, and it was, I think, what I could give back, you know, my father supported me going to school for theater, believe it or not. Um, and even though it took me a decade and a half to like get my head out of my butt, um, when I did, I think the tools that I was able to bring back to my family um, allowed us to be in a way that um, we hadn't been before as far as being able to communicate or willing to communicate or having someone who would insist upon communication but not get angry when things didn't go the way they were supposed to go. Um, that with my mother, if you combine that with my mother's undying faith that our family unit was meant to survive intact, um, you know, she was the she was the faith, and then I was the technique, and then I think we were able to um, be what we are now, which is not perfect, but you know, functional and and supportive of one another. So that is, um, you know, from from what we were to what we could have been, it's pretty damn good. Yeah, yeah, and I mean that's part of the story as well about why you why you didn't go that other path how what was it inside you what was what was that strength that resilience to become joseph green you know what's what's interesting about my path is i i i, I tripped into working with young people it wasn't something that i intended on doing i i, I was I had come back from New York. Um, I was living with my parents. I was stumbling into recovery in my own stubborn way. And I got a phone call from a former teacher of mine. And she was like, hey, um, they're promoting me. Do you want to coach the speech and debate team or the speech team? And I was like, you know what? I'm working at, uh, at I, was working, I was making smoothies at a gym, 
right? That was my first job back into the real world. And I was like, oh uh, yeah, something that like makes me feel like I have purpose instead of making smoothies for people that I graduated high school with. Um, yeah, I'll do that. And so something about being in the presence of real courage, which is when you see someone transform from thinking I can't to I can, right? You see it, you know it's there, but when they really embrace that, it's hard, harder to deny the need for that in your own personal life. So I, just like they say, you know, say young people keep me, you know, keep me young. The, the, the young people that I've worked with, the hundreds of them at this point in my life, um, every time I see them, brave a stage um, or even a classroom, you know, to see a fourth grader for the first time get up and, and read poetry in front of their classmates and not be scared of it, you know, to be, to, to, to when they leave the space, they're going in nervous, but coming out with confidence. I am an amalgamation of each of those tiny moments. Um, and so that's that, that cycle that we don't talk about, I think enough. Um, there is no selfless act, right? Like even this work that, that I did for many years for free, because I didn't know how to make money from it. I was doing it because I was being fed. My soul was being fed. And that was of greater value to me and still is then um, I think having a life that would have been monetarily more secure, but would have left me without the tools to do the healing that I needed to do with my family. So, you know, what's, what's it really worth? So that's where that comes from. My, my courage, my backbone, each individual vertebrae is, is, a, is a courageous young person that, I, that I've, I've had the honor of being in their presence. Hmm. I understand that we sometimes spoke about what is a selfless act and the selfless actors that I know in my life are our sponsors. And with them, they are absolutely the backbone of the Dr. Joe show as well. So I relate. Let's hear from them, Larry. We'll take a commercial break. We'll be right back with the Dr. Joe show. Hey folks, welcome back. So any thoughts? Do you listen to other podcasts? Do you see how they do the sponsors? Is there a way that they're utilizing sponsors that you enjoy or you don't enjoy? I listen to Smartless and I really enjoy how the co-hosts share the voiceover for the product or service. It's really funny for the most part, but it's unique. It's them really endorsing. Does that work? What do you think? Oh, we're back with the Dr. Joe show with storyteller Joseph Green. And we were talking about something that we've talked about a few times on the Dr. Joe show and these selfless acts. He started to talk about it before we cut to the break and being charitable. Is it selfish to be charitable or what is going on? Yeah. And it, it's the similar, you know, to my, my phrase, contribute to society to help with your sobriety. I mean, by, by giving to others, you get rewarded. And right. what's wrong with that? The, you know, Joseph, when you were talking about that kid and the first time they do the poetry and they come up and they're nervous 
and then they come out and they feel great. There's brain chemistry with that. You know, that's oxytocin, not oxycontin. That's oxytocin. That's when somebody says, you're amazing. And you, you feel that rush. That is, that is one of the great keys to how we help people maintain that sobriety, but that self of, of value. We all want to feel valued by other people. Yeah, I, 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 I couldn't agree more. Um, the majority, so um, you saw Tipping the Pain Scale and the scene that they have of me in Tipping the Pain Scale and working with a group of middle school students and I'm doing a, a gratitude gratefulness workshop. And it took me years to convince people to allow me to work on that part of the young person. I'm a, I, you know, I, I got my start as a creative writing teaching artist in the school space. And so that's typically what they want to bring someone in to do. Like, how can you help us help the young people with their test scores and their understanding of these different concepts and so on and so forth. And um, when I started to switch it a little bit, you know, I'm not just going to teach, you know, metaphor uh, for the sake of metaphor. I'm not just going to pull another poem that they've already read from text. And I'm, I'm going to, we're going to write a poem today, but the focus of it is not how well of a poem you write, but what, how can we take our energy and be in control of it, right? And so you get to choose what you write about. It is harder for you to write about gratitude because it's not something that we talk about often enough, right? But we're going to do that. And then I want y'all to just watch the young people glow as they're talking about these things that they're grateful for. And they're talking about their family and their pets and their teachers in ways that we don't create space for regularly. And then there's an energy in the room. The oxytocin becomes something that is a communal thing. If I say something positive and you feel the positivity from that, then we're both getting it. And we can now start measuring the feeling of what happens when we start with the gratitude thing. Oh man, someone did something not nice to somebody. That really changed the feeling in the room. And it made me feel a particular way. Someone offered me language on how to explain that. Um, and now we are in the business of creating young people who can articulate themselves and, and uh, emotionally, but also know that they are or can be the primary architect of the energy that enters their space. Um, and they can demand a world where schools focus on positive things and eventually hopefully media focuses more on positive things and then hopefully the art and entertainment that they're surrounded with starts to focus more on positive things um so yeah it's uh and, and it's something that's really prevalent in the work that i do now as a narrative disruptor because the narrative being especially in our space of recovery is that the story that we have to tell is the one of our ruin um and that's what the world wants to see that's what you know i tell folks the first time i, I got on the local news i was the, i was hosting an event for young people um it was a contest a drug-free contest where they got to make slogans and i told my mother about it and she tuned in and underneath my name not program director former drug addict joseph green 
because that was like one of the things I said in my, like why I do this work. So they decided to go with that. Mm. We can control that um, narrative. We can change that narrative. We can disrupt that narrative. And one of the things that I, I say in my, in my workshops and trainings that we do is I, in this space, we are offering our stories as gifts. And I want you to think about what type of gift you want from someone. When we're talking about the bottom, it's important for us to know that. And there are people who have similar lived experience where talking about those things is necessary so that we can build community. You know, we're not alone. But when we're sharing our stories out, it's not the ruin at the bottom. It's the individual fabrics of hope and love and redemption that created the rope that got us out of the hole. That's the story that we can offer other people where it's actually a gift. And so I think it's all just my work is like kind of 360 because a lot of the things that I learned working with young people, right, I now, you know, make the delivery system a little more sophisticated, but there was no reason to ever remove ourselves from those very basic things that we taught ourselves and we were taught as young people on how to interact with one another and treat one another. Um, Cool. I'll stop there to see if you have anything else to say. <laughs> Mark, Tom, do you want to comment on that? Or I think it's 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 again, uh, these guys are rarely at a loss for words, which is means that they're you you've you've dug in, you you've captured something. What you're saying is is so compatible with everything that we say on the show, which is that at at every and any moment in time, you can remind someone of their value. And whenever you remind someone of their value, you increase your own value. Because, you know, that's what it is. So when you're giving that gift, uh, it doesn't mean that you're, you're less than after you've given it, just the opposite. We've, we have so much brain in us, the limbic brain that is about limited resources and I only have so much, and, and I don't want other people to have more than me. And that's part of the primitive part of our brain. But if we keep doing that, we're going to destroy ourselves. We, we, we don't have that same limited resources. We have poor distribution of resources. But we each have something that we can give to the other that does not diminish us because we've given it. And, and you know, that... For some people, that's like, wait, 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 wait. Well, what are you talking about? How can how can I give and actually have more? I think for some people that's mind-boggling. During during the break, Mark, you um you were asking me how I would like to, you know, how you like to what title you want I wanted you to reintroduce me with. And one of the things you said was motivational speaker. And I it's something that lingers around me because there's a general understanding in society as to what that means, but it's something that I personally shy away from uh, because there's something about motivating people without giving them the tools with which to capitalize on that motivation mm. that seems overly self-serving. It's like, it's almost drug dealing in the sense of keep coming back to me for this good feeling. I'm gonna keep making you feel good 
but I'm not going to give you the tools with which to sustain this without me, right? And so I think the greatest learning that I've had in the past five years is that I find so much more satisfaction and pleasure and joy and 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 more and well received when I insist that whatever moment I have is coupled with a learning, right? We didn't get to do that at ASAM um, because I got called in so late, but like I almost refuse now to do uh, just a keynote, right? Like everything I do is offered in a package. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't just because of the nature of conferences, but um, that it's, my job is to eliminate my purpose. Right. As a motivational speaker, um, my job should be and just like, you know, most nonprofits and things of that sort. Our job should be to eliminate what we're doing. So if people have to keep coming back to us. We're not trusting them with the tools um, or we haven't taken the time to learn how to articulate them in a way that's effective. And I think it works on both sides because I do feel like there's a strong sense of you know, uh, science and, and how important academic study is and evidence-based this and that. But they're missing the other side of it, the, 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 the human side, the marketing side, the, the, the part that says, if I know that what I have is of value, then it's impended upon me to present it in a way that the person who I'm trying to serve wants to receive it, right? That I can't just sit here and be like, I have the answer. Why aren't you coming to get right. my program why aren't you coming to get my um this or that and so and that I, they uh, can implement it that day that they can that they can use the tool that you've given them that day right then to make whatever change they may need or want to make so that they they move themselves to a place that they feel more purpose i think this purpose thing is so important you know because when you have purpose it means you're you're giving to other people you you're continue to be reminded of your value and when we're reminded of our own value we're a lot calmer yeah. and if you're calmer you're thinking much clearer and if you're thinking clearer you're anticipating what can happen next and it doesn't have to be huge no <laughs> no idea absolutely be getting there and, and and anticipating what will happen next doesn't have to be huge and that is why I am anticipating exactly the time to take our next commercial break. So our sponsors can tell us a little bit more about their purpose and how their purpose can help yours. Larry, we'll take a commercial break. We'll be right back with the Dr. Joe Show. Hey, welcome back. And again, we're super grateful for you listening to the Dr. Joe Show. If you have anyone that you think might be a good sponsor, shoot us an email at drjoepodcast at gmail.com. D-R-J-O-E podcast at gmail.com. Give us your thoughts about the show too. We're wondering, are we talking to the trees or are people really gaining value in this? Please let us know. Thank you again and enjoy the rest of the show. And we're back with the Dr. Joe show with Joseph Green, a storyteller and so much more. So much more. So much more narrative disruption. That's that's really what I want to take a look at. What, where'd that come from? What is it? Tell us about that, and how does that connect with LMS Voice? Yeah. So 
narrative disruption was born um, after my training in public narrative. And so that is a practice that comes out of Harvard University. Um, and oh, if Rosie hears this and I can't think of this dude's name, she's gonna kill me. But the gentleman who came up with it and teaches it and uh, I came across it at Mobilize Recovery, which is an event that happens every year, um, part rally, part training, part advocacy. And uh, I was, selected to be one of the people who kind of went through like the almost 40 hours of training. And then we got to do it. And the idea of public narrative is just using your lived experience for advocacy. How do you do that? And what's the most constructive way to get there? Um, but it, it's very specific and it's very academic and it's very like, this is how it works. And we can't really go outside of those tools because Marshall Gans, that's the man who came up with it for anyone who knows who Marshall Gans is from Harvard. Um, and so after participating in it and um, seeing where I thought the, the good parts of it was, the one of the things that it didn't allow for, for was the bringing in of other sort of storytelling tools, storytelling methods, using story just for connectivity, using story to, um, to, to challenge harmful narratives, both outwardly and inwardly. It was, you know, it was what it was. And so instead of trying to make it something it wasn't, um, we decided to try to make it something different. And so the idea of narrative disruption is born of all of those people throughout history who have chosen not to succumb to whatever mainstream narrative was trying to rule the trajectory of their life. Right, you know, whether it was being raised in a place from birth where you were told you were less than because of the color of your skin or who you loved or the identity of the gender that was inside as opposed to the one that was outside, no matter what it was, there have always been things that, where people have been told from conception that they don't belong in a place or they're not accepted. And so many of my heroes, many of the people that you see on the wall behind me, and if you could see the other wall over here, um, are folks who have challenged those narratives. And so I wanted to take that and make it both external and internal. I wanted to make it trauma-informed so that we were able to use it for people who have never been able to discover anything positive in their story. Um, and so I believe that the world will do enough to you that we don't always have to look for our worst lessons to find our greatest inspiration. And that even if we didn't listen to the good advice or we didn't listen to the wonderful example that we have seen and been present and when present for very profound moments. And this work allows us the opportunity to go back to those spaces and, and say, actually, yes, I recovered from, but it was my grandmother's never giving up on me where I learned the resiliency, right? So it wasn't, I didn't overcome the drug. I tapped in to the gift that was given me. And that re it changes the way that only that you tell your story, but it changes how you see your world now yeah. and where you pull your motivation from. We're so often pulling motivation from the, you know, the F you part of life. Like I'm, I'm, I'm angry and therefore I'm going to act. And I think that when people are, in touch with their values 
and know where their values are born from and can pay homage to them, they can now look for new ways to not only reinforce, but um, grow organically with the trials and tribulations that are going to continue to happen in their life, but without, you know, only seeing those things happening. So I teach that the best that I can. Um, I do workshops and, and I, 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 you know, I do it with people in recovery. I do it with people who work with people in recovery. I do it with theater companies and so on and so forth. And yeah, it's, um, it is slowly becoming my life's work. Um, and I'm very blessed to, um, to have been introduced to so many wonderful narrative disruptors, um, throughout my life and, and still to this day. So, so Joseph, how, how do people find you? How do they, you know, how yeah. are you tap into your expertise, tap into your storytelling? Yeah, I think the easiest thing would be come on by the website. Um, it's www.lmsvoice.com and it is part website and part um, resource. There's uh, two parts of it. There's the storyteller part where you can come and learn a little more about the storytelling, but, you know, just get in contact with me. Or there's a curriculum site that is um, uh, run by my good friend and partner of many years, Brian Hannon, um, where we have hundreds of pieces of curriculum for folks who want to get into creative writing. This is not specific to the recovery world, except for the fact that I believe that this act of creativity, this act of self-exploration um, is vital to not just recovery, but for folks in all parts of their lives. So it's a free thing. It's absolutely free. It's always been free. Um, and uh, it's expanding. And so you go visit that, do a writing workshop, see a video, watch a poem, or, you know, reach out to me, follow us on Instagram or Facebook. Uh, but yeah, the easiest way is lmsvoice.com. And, and folks, I've, I've been to this site, and it is really incredible. And it is mind blowing how much content is there that that you can just access and it's for free. So that that is great. But what about um, getting you to, as a speaker? I mean, can people hire you? Can they? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I do conferences. Um, uh, I will be, um, for instance, if you're listening and you're going to be at the uh, CADCA training next week, I will be at doing, a, with SAMHSA, doing a narrative disruption workshop there. Um, we are partnering with Mobilized Recovery to bring narrative disruption to the new Mobilized Recovery that will be happening in, in D.C. in September. We'll be doing a night of stories from people all over the country. Um, and uh, so yeah, I it can be. It's, I don't do one on one, but like we can definitely um, work with a group. We can work with a conference. Uh, but yeah, just honestly, it just starts with a conversation. Um, and so my email, if you're interested in listening, is joseph at lmsvoice.com. So just add that there. But you know, there's a contact form on the website too. It'd be great. Yeah, joseph at lmsvoice.com. Um, we're coming to the, the end of the show. So I, I just want to go to the two truths of the I am for a moment. So, you know, mm -hmm. this whole thing, we really have been talking I am in many ways because we're seeing the value in each other. No one's broken. Um, but we're influenced by four domains, the home domain, 
We've spoken about that in your opening poem, which was mind-blowing. The social domain, we've also been speaking about how the rest of the world influences us. These two domains are outside. Then the biological domain of our brain and body, we hungry, tired, digesting lunch, and the IC domain. How do I see myself? How do I think other people see me? We've spoken a lot about that as well. Because the four domains interact, the first truth of the I am, a small change can have a big effect. You don't need to change everything. So, Joseph, based on what we're talking about tonight, what small change can you recommend to our listeners? I've been um, studying this and wanting to try to keep myself open to like the answer coming to me. Uh, and I think it did earlier today. Um, someone I love very much uh, got into like a heated discussion with and just had to walk away. And then I didn't have time to explain that I wasn't angry at them, but was angry. And something I tripped over, I don't know where I got it from. If you know where it is, you know, tell me. But um, our anger is protecting our insecurity. And when I got angry in that moment, I knew I wasn't mad at them, but I didn't know exactly what it was. And I had to take a step back to say, what is my anger trying to protect right now? And is it actually under attack? Or is it just my insecurity over? And so the thing I would suggest to folks, and this is a mindfulness thing, and you need to practice to get the space to be able to make this, but a goal is to be able to take a step back from an altercation, a conflict, an anger, and give the person and yourself the benefit of the doubt that maybe this isn't the thing. And even if it is the thing, the anger is not going to help me get to the other side of it. Um, it's a warning. It's, a, it's, 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 you know, it's important. It's a part of who we are, but maybe that's not who should be driving if I'm actually going to try to get to the other side of this. So that was, that happened to me this morning. And I texted him that quote um, when uh, he prematurely apologized because he thought he did something wrong. I think that's great. Yeah, anger is an emotion designed to change things. I actually wrote a book about it called Outsmarting Anger. So I'm totally, totally in tune with that. You know, recognize you're angry and then try to figure out what you want to see different. But remember, it's the same in the other brain. If you're doing it, everyone's doing it. So when somebody's angry, first thing, what do they want to see different? And then you can begin that dialogue. So it's, I think that's a wonderful small change. The second truth of the I am, everyone's got one. Everyone's interested in what you think or feel about them, which has an effect on their biological domain because, you know, it feels different when you feel respected or disrespected. And you're part of someone's home or social domain. So this means you control no one, but you influence everyone. You get to choose the kind of influence you want to be. Joseph Green, storyteller, so much more. What kind of influence do you want to be? I want to remind people that no matter their current circumstance or their background, that we all have the power to be the primary author of our own character and our own future. And that doesn't mean we do it alone. It just means that we can right the ship and point it in a direction that we, we can be proud of and the people around us can be proud of. So if I can, if I can give that, because it was given to me, if I can give that to some people, then I will think that my time here was spent well. That's a wonderful influence. And if you give it to others and they give it to others, 
and they give it to others, what world we would have. It'd be so much better. We can do it, folks. We can do it. Joseph Green, thank you so much for being a guest tonight on the Dr. Joe Show. People, go to LMS Voice. It is worth it. And find Joseph Green. Thank you. Bye, everyone. We'll see you next week.